the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Love y'all. Y'all can be seated. Well, there's always reason to celebrate in the house when things are going right. When people are doing what they should. We'll turn to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to get right into the word of God. If you were here last week, you might remember that I told you today that I would spill the beans. I'll give you the lowdown on how our life groups are going to work. And we're going to get to that. But I thought we'd get in the word a little bit first. Matthew 4.18. It says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Say, making a living. Making a living. That's what they were doing. They were fishers. They, they made a living by fishing. And Jesus called out to them. He said, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. I think what Jesus is saying is I've got something better for you. You know, making a living and truly living can be two different things. I believe we, we all understand we have to make a living. We, you don't work, you don't eat. We, making a living is part of living, but is that all there is to living? And what gets me is it says immediately they left their nets and went with Jesus. And it was an odd time for them to leave their nets. Because their nets were full. Their nets were overflowing with fish. And it wasn't that way earlier in the day. If you read over in Luke 5, you see that Jesus, uh, Peter, he had fished all night long and caught nothing. And so he was there about daylight. He got back to the bank and he had his nets out and he was washing his nets. And his brother Andrew comes up with Jesus. See, Andrew had been telling Peter about Jesus. I think he's the Messiah. I want you to meet this, this Jesus. And so Andrew brings Jesus, but Jesus always brings a crowd. And so Jesus had this huge gaggle of people with him. And he gets there and he meets Peter and he says, Peter, can I use your boat? Because the crowd was pressing on him so much, you know. So he gets in the boat and he pushes out from shore just to get a little distance. And if you know anything about being at the lake, if you holler across the water, you get better acoustics, don't you? You can, you can hear somebody talking all the way across the lake. It's like a PA system, and Jesus understood that. He knew if he was going to preach to this multitude, it'd be good to have a little water between them and a little space so they didn't crowd him. And so he began to preach. 
he began, I don't know what his message was that day. Uh, if it's recorded in the Bible, I, I forgot to look it up. But, but I know whatever he was saying was true. And I know whatever he was, whatever he said, just hearing the Son of God preach, it must have been an experience. And so it must have touched Peter because once Jesus got through, he brought the boat back to the shore. And then he told Peter, Peter, I want you to go out and let your nets down. Now, you got to understand, this is in daytime now. And they, Peter was a, a third shift fisherman. <laughs> he fished at night with nets, and that's the way they did it. And he had fished all night and not caught anything. And so he's got to be thinking, that's, I'm tired, man. It's my bedtime. You know, I, I work the third shift. I'm supposed to come home and go to sleep right now. I was washing my nets. I got them clean and everything. Now he's thinking to himself. I bet he's thinking to himself all these things. He probably had a lot of reasons why he wouldn't let down the net. Can you agree? But how many of you know after you've heard Jesus talk he'll stir you up to do something different something that you might not even think that you would re really want to do and so he says i fished all night jesus but but at your word because your word stirred me i felt something when you talked i'm gonna go let down the nets i bet he wasn't expecting anything probably didn't have any faith at all working but it says you only need faith as a grain of mustard seed. And so he threw the nets out. It's like, oh my goodness. This fish started jumping in the net. So much so that his nets were about to break. And so he called for help. And there was James and John in their boat. And they came out. They threw their nets out. <laughs> that gets me. They were supposed to come help Peter. But no, they threw their nets out. You know, They wanted in on this thing. And their nets begin to break. They begin to haul in fish till the both boats were about to sink. They were so full of fish. And they get back to the shore. And instead of Peter running up to Jesus and giving him a high five, dude, that was some good advice. Peter falls down and says, Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinful man. Now was Peter any more sinful than Andrew or James and John, or was he any more sinful than any of the other fishermen? I doubt it. But there's something about when you come in contact with the holy. There's something about an experience with Jesus that'll indelibly change you forever. There's something about He touches your heart. And you realize your brokenness. And you realize, man, I am not worthy. To be in your presence. That's the way he felt. But see, he didn't understand God's grace. Was he worse sinner than anybody else? Was he a worse sinner than you? Probably not. He, should. he probably cussed a little or a lot. You know, fishermen. <laughs> probably told lies. I caught one this big, you know. He probably drank. Probably did whatever fishermen did in that day. Because you know what sinners do? They sin. They can't help it. It's their nature. But has that ever stopped Jesus from approaching anyone? Is there anybody who sinned that Jesus hadn't offered them a better life? No. And so Jesus says, Peter, come follow me. 
said, I will make you fishers of men. Now, Peter had a decision to make right there. I mean, he had a net full of fish here. And he had fished all night. And I imagine that morning he was scratching his head, oh, what are we going to do about the bills? I ain't been catching enough fish. Have you ever worried a lot about making a living? If you're just living to make a living, that'll stress you. If you don't have anybody that's telling you the truth and that you can trust, and you're just living and you're the one making all the decisions and it's all on your shoulders, that'll stress you. And so I imagine that net full of fish was giving him a sigh of relief. Oh, we're going to make the bills this month. We might have a little left over. I imagine he was thinking about all the things he could buy with all those fish that were in his net. And so he had a decision. Is he going to stay here with all those fish? Or is he going to leave his nets? Well, that would be crazy. But you see, there's something about Jesus that makes us be willing to do the crazy. To follow him. And he left his nets and he followed Jesus to learn how to become a fisher of men. He left the natural and the ordinary making a living life to truly living life. The more abundant life that Jesus offers. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He left the golden egg to go walk with the goose. Because he knew the goose would continue to produce golden eggs. And I wonder how many of us do that. We base our life chasing the golden egg, but we don't follow the goose. We're stuck on this one golden egg. When walking with Jesus would be so much better. So today's message is entitled, The Goose or the Egg? Which one are you going to choose? Making a living or truly living? You know, we were all just living an ordinary life until Jesus came and rocked our boat. Can you look back, those of you who are born again believers, can you look back and remember how stressful it was trying to make a living and that was it and that's all there is to life is just putting food on the table and trying to get to the weekend? And those of you who know Christ and you follow Him and He's teaching you to be fishers of men, you know the excitement. I mean, you went from an ordinary life to an extraordinary life. And I know my life changed. And I know even when I don't feel like I'm with Him, I feel when things are going bad and the devil's attacking. And how many know the devil will attack you now that you ain't on his team anymore? Huh? He'll attack you hard. And walking with Jesus isn't the easy road. It's the narrow and it's the straight road. And you've got to give up the things of the past to walk in the new. But I tell you what, I'm just here to tell you from my testimony, it's made all the difference in the world. I wouldn't go back again for all the golden eggs in the world now that I get to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we resist change? See, that's what we're really talking about here today. Are you willing to make the changes that Jesus puts in, in your path that he asks of you? Well, I wrote down a few things. Number one, I got three. We like what we know, what we've become familiar with. You know, we're so insecure as human beings 
I know I, I am growing up without a dad in the house and not knowing if I'm doing good. So when I do good at something, I kind of cling to it. I get familiar with it and I'm holding on to it. And I don't, I'm scared to try new things that I don't know because I'm afraid I'm afraid of failure and stuff. Number two, we like comfort. Because the things that we do know, we build our life around them and we make, them, we make it comfortable. Right? We all got the lazy boy. We've, we've built our lives around a pattern of comfort. And the new thing that Jesus is calling us to often requires a dirty four-letter word called work. Right? It's going to require something of us. And then thirdly, change can feel like something that we can't control. Well, what if I do this? And what, what if I... You know, I'm, 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 I know I can pay the bills doing this, but if I step out here, what if? I, what if? And change can be scary, and it requires faith. What if Jesus, when I step out, what if He's not there to hold me? But He'll be there. That's what faith says. He'll be there. Faith knows that He'll be there. The Bible says, have you ever seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread? No, those who put their trust in Him shall be rewarded. You shall be taken care of. He will meet your needs according to His riches and glory. He's on your team. If God be for you, who can be against you? I mean, I am preaching it. And you ain't receiving it, don't look like. I guess you're just thinking real hard. I wrote this. The comfort of familiarity is always the enemy of God's plan. The comfort of familiarity, what you're familiar with, it brings you comfort. But if you want to live the extraordinary life, you're going to have to let go of what you know and enter into the great unknown, stepping out in faith on the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can stick with the ordinary and you can chase the golden egg or you can step out in faith and walk with the goose. Am I making sense to anybody? It's not the easy way. Many of you will probably say, I'm good. I'm not ready for that. But I'm telling you, you'll never experience true life until you make the decision to walk with Jesus. Man's got this natural rebellious streak in us. It's part of our old sin nature that, that once we give our hearts to Jesus should have been buried in baptism, right? We should be walking in this new man who's fearless, who has courage, that knows he's more than an overcomer in him who loved us. Acts 7.51 says, though, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. You resist the leading of God's Spirit. You're stiff-necked. That means you're just stubborn. And you're scared. Even when Jesus came, He, he gives us a new covenant, right? I mean, he, he spilt all of His blood to provide us a new covenant. A better covenant ba based on better promises, the Bible says. Much better promises than the old covenant. But even today, as back in Jesus' day, 
people resisted the new. I mean, they even wanted to stick with circumcision. (laughs) Boy. They would rather circumcise their flesh than circumcise their heart. The new covenant is so much better, but yet we we have a tendency to want to go back under the old covenant and judge ourselves based on works. We want to go back into the, the, the thing where, look at me, I'm, I'm doing the, the, the commandments. Because it's a pride thing. Instead of humble ourselves under the gracious hand of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we receive what He freely gives. Right standing with Him. In uh, Luke 5, verse 37... Jesus tells us this, that no one puts new wine into old wineskins. You know, new wine is fermenting. It's in the process of, it's it's still moving. And old wineskins are drawn up and tight. and, And you put that new wine in there, what happens? It says, or else the new wine will burst the wine skins and be spilled and the wine skins will be ruined. It just don't work. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. But the new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, what he's talking about in context here is the Holy Spirit. He's talking about if you want the things of God, you got to be born again. You have to be born again to receive the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of the living God is the new wine. Is that making sense? You can't be under the old covenant rejecting Jesus Christ and saying, God, give me your spirit. That's, that would be putting new wine into an old wineskin. And you couldn't handle it. It would burst you. <laughs> but he goes on to say in verse 39, And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires the new, for he says, the old is better. He's just talking about the nature of people. He's just saying even though the new wine is the better, the new covenant is better, people that have drank from the old wine, they want to stick with what they know. They say the old wine is better. Don't give me anything new. But I'm telling you, the people of God must have a different attitude. We got to walk by faith and not by comfort. We got to walk by faith and not by sight. When God says move, we got to move, even if it's up out of our lazy boy. We got to step into the new. Jesus is in the new wine, you understand. Our, our human nature is to cling to the old, but Jesus is in the new wine. And so I say all this to say we're about to change some things in the church. Jesus has given us direction about how we're going to do things. And so I'm about to explain to you why we're going to change to life groups. I've been teaching you on it for some time, right? About uh, discipleship and how best to do discipleship. And Jesus is going to show us a better way not to become professional pew sitters. I mean, we got a nation full of professional pew sitters. They got more knowledge than anybody in the recorded history of Christianity, but they don't put it into action. And they're not growing as disciples. 
They just have a lot of head knowledge. And it's not applicable. Oh, I don't, I'm not going to say that word again. That one always gets me. Huh? Look, three people just tried to show me, and neither one of them got it right. So, Look, we try to break things down and make it easy for you to understand, because that's the way God deals with me. So, I, Okay, see that, that banner in the back? This is what we call our discipleship wheel. This is the process of you becoming a disciple and you helping other people become a disciple. First, you got to know God, right? You got to be born again or none of this works. You, you're not, you don't even have the new wine without. So you got to know God. How do we predominantly do that here at the church? Today, we have Sunday services. You bring your lost friends, they get saved, they get excited, they know God, They're, they become new wineskins. Then you got the fine freedom, and I'm going to come back to that one. But what do we do for the discover purpose part? See, we're providing, God is showing us how to provide for all these things in the, the discipleship process. Discover purpose is why we have our next step classes. If you hadn't been to that, that's a vital part of what we're doing. Four weeks, we discuss your, today we'll be talking about your spiritual gifts. Take a spiritual gifts test. It'll be about your discovering who God has made you. Next week, it'll be about showing you how to use the things that God has given you. And then the fourth week will be about putting you on a passion team so you can make a difference. And how do we make a difference? What are the things we provide here at the church about making a difference? Well, Kirsty's mentioned a lot of the outreaches that we do all the time. Uh, we put you in passion teams. You get signed up to work the, the booth or with the children or, or where, whatever we do here. You can get and, and get your, your car rolling so God can begin to steer you into your destiny. And we teach you how to get moving with your discipleship so that what? You can lead others to know God. And then you've completed the circle. And then they begin to go around the circle. Is that making sense to everyone? I explain that all the time. But, but why did I say all this again? Because what was our, what was our mechanism to help you find freedom? Well, we didn't have one. Really? Our mechanism to find freedom is that hope that I preach good enough that you'll leave here free. But I'm telling you, God has shown us a better way. We all need freedom. Don't just look like I already got mine. We all need freedom in, in areas of our life. And God's is showing us that as a church to help people find freedom, they need life groups. Why do I say that? It's biblical. In 1 John 1, 9, it says that if you confess your sins to God, He's faithful to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, right? So your sins are, are the things that have held you bound. And so if, if you're held captive, you confess your sins to be forgiven. You confess them to God. But James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. It actually says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So your forgiveness is found vertically, but God uses the horizontal relationships to help us find healing. That's where freedom happens. Freedom happens best in the context of relationship. You get, 
God is in all of it, I understand. I'm not saying God's not in it, that you have to have people. But I'm saying that's his mechanism. It's for us to be able to talk with someone, to be able to, to confess our sins, to be able to say, what did you do? How did you do it? What sets you free? God, you, and, and we begin to help one another find freedom. And so that's what's going to happen in our life groups. We're going to break it down to a smaller size because you're not going to jump up here in the service and say, Pastor, I'm having a problem with pornography. Can you tell me what to do real quick? You're just not going to do that. But if you develop personal relationships and, and trust with someone, eventually you may open up and say, you know, I've struggled with this and I know it's not pleasing to God. What Have you ever done that? Well, I'm struggling with that too. What else you learn? Well, and, and you begin to learn from one another. So, are you ready to hear our plan for life groups? I am so ready to tell you this. It has, it has been two years in the making. We've prayed about it for the last probably six months. We have been designing the program. We've been training the leaders. This is not something we're just throwing out, just some little willy-nilly thing. We believe that this is new wine that's going to help us be the church that God has called us to be. It's going to fill in that missing piece. Now, you remember I, I told you God told us that 2019 would be a year of implementation so that 2020 would be a year of manifestation. And we believe that this is the, the, the implementation of the last major piece that we need to, to be a disciple-making church. So are you ready? Now, you know we started some time ago, a couple of years ago, we, we saw that people were falling through the cracks and there was no mechanism that one person certainly can't make all the hospital visits and can't help everybody, can't do everything for everybody. So we understood there was a need, so we put men's and women's groups together. And they worked good. I mean, it was a, it was a step that we had leaders over 10 men and every 10 men and every 10 women. And, and it worked the best that it could, but the, the limitations were that we only met every other month. And it just wasn't often enough to make a difference. And another thing that most people didn't like about it, they were put in groups where we thought they should be and not where they wanted to be. But here's the way life groups are going to go. Life groups will meet weekly and you will get to choose what group you go to. It's going to be a free market. Competition and everything. They're going to be, they're going to be asking you to join their group or whatever, but you decide. And we're going to meet weekly in homes. Or if their home isn't big enough, they can use an area of the church or something. But we're going to get outside these walls. You remember what we taught not long ago? That the, the early church, they met at the temple and from house to house. So we're going to be meeting in people's homes. And uh, the, the meetings are only going to be an hour long, typically. Now there, there may be some that go an hour and a half by design. But that would be the longest. And they're going to start on time. And they're going to end on time. And if they don't, you let me know. Because they've been tasked to start on time and end on time. Now what we've discovered in our, our uh, practice runs with the, with the group leaders, that we've, been, we've already been doing this and we love it. What we've discovered is when, it's, when we say, okay, that, that concludes tonight's message, get out of here. You know, you can't stay here. <laughs> glad you came, glad you leave. No, but... Uh, <laughs> 
But, but we do that for a reason because, you know, you just can't linger at somebody's home forever. There comes a time you got to make a cutoff. But what happens is everybody goes out in the front yard and says, what do y'all want to do now? Because everybody's having so much fun, they don't want to quit. Then they go to eat together, go to Starbucks together, whatever they want to do, and they continue to fellowship. They just have to do it off campus in case that person is hosting in their house has to get up early in the morning or something, right? Okay, so that's the way it's going. It's, it, uh, it can be the small groups don't have to be on a certain day um, of the week. You might have a breakfast meeting on a Saturday or whatever. Currently, with the groups that we are beginning with, all of them will meet on a Wednesday night, except one. We'll meet on a Thursday. Uh, you'll have to look at the groups, and you'll decide. There'll be different times. They'll be meeting in different areas, of course, according to where they live. And so you, you'll have to make that decision for yourself. And so when I say most of them will be meeting on Wednesdays, some of your lightning fast minds are saying, what about our next level Wednesday service? And I'm here to tell you, I know this is going to break some of your heart, but these are replacing Next Level Wednesdays, our services. Oh, that kind of hurts, doesn't it? It hurt me. And I tell you, I understand we love what we do. That's part of the change because I'm comfortable with this. But I'm telling you, Next Level Life Groups are going to produce more fruit than Next Level Wednesday service could. It's going to be better for our discipleship process. You're going to get, you're going to, and I can tell you for somebody who's already dealt with the, the pain of losing our next level Wednesday service, having gone to these new life groups, I'm much more excited about them. And I'm seeing, oh, this is going to be awesome. If you're a, a next level life group small leader and you've been coming to the next level mock groups that we've been having, would you raise your hand? Now, would you put your hand down if you, you're not enjoying it? Chad? Are they great or what? They are. I'm loving it. Angie, did you want to say something there? Because you had said that you wanted to tell how often that they're making you feel. I'm sorry, this is not an infomercial. <laughs> it's starting to sound like one. But. Uh, I just wanted to share because I was kind of scared about life groups. I didn't know what to expect. I know we've talked about them forever, and I knew we were supposed to do it, but I just didn't know what to expect, you know. And um, this year, we uh, it's probably been our most challenging year since pastoring, and um, I've allowed myself to kind of get beat down and be negative and only see the negative and only hear the negative and just really struggled with, uh, I lost my joy. I wasn't, you know, everything about church was work. You know, when you work at church, it can be like, that. <laughs> you know, you have to really stir yourself up to stay stirred up, you know, and not just look at it like work. And so anyway, when he's, we, we started the small group training, it was just training here at the church, you know, just telling them the vision, telling them why we're doing this, what the purpose of it is and everything. And I think we were going to do one actual, like, what did I say, practice small group. And, um, and we did, and I think it was at our house, the first one. And uh, I'm telling you afterward, I was like, Wow. That was so fun, and I had not had fun in a long time. <laughs> I had not felt like I had fun or joy, even in things that I used to feel like I, 
I enjoyed like working in my yard or my flowers or my pool. I wasn't even enjoying those things. And so when I left this group, I felt like, I felt like I had some joy and it was, it felt wonderful, honestly, you know, so I was like so excited. And then every, we were just going to have one or two of those. And then he asked them, they were so good after those one or two, he asked everybody, do y'all want to keep doing them? And like my natural mind was thinking they're not going to want to. And normally I'm gone like four or five nights a week. I don't usually want something else added to my schedule, but I, I, everybody's loved it. Nobody wanted to stop doing it, and even me. And that's a big thing because I like to be at home and not have some, one more thing. So I'm just really excited, and I feel like it's going to, you know, I pray that all of y'all will give it a chance. You know, um, don't focus on the negative. Give it a chance. You know, believe the best, and um, and I believe it's really what God's calling us to do. So, Thank you, Andrew. All right, where was we at? I'm going to tell you more about them. All right. Once you join a life group, you're not stuck there forever. Once you decide that you want to lead a life group and you go through training, you'll not be stuck leading forever because we're putting them in semesters. And a, a typical semester will last 12 weeks. So at the end of 12 weeks, there'll be a few weeks that we won't have small groups where we're arranging things and getting ready for the signups for the next semester. Does that make sense? So if you, you sign up for one small group, say, say you go to one small group and you've been there and done that, and you say, I, I really want to try this kind of small group because I need that too, you don't have to stay in that small group. You sign up every semester. And everybody signs up together at the beginning of the semester so it doesn't feel like anybody's walking in late to something that's already been going on. Um, you get to switch after the semesters. And hopefully... We're starting out with six small groups, and as we go, we'll be developing new leaders, and we'll be always adding new small groups. Eventually, as we grow, one day we may have hundreds of small groups to choose from. So we'll, we'll try to have the appropriate amount of small groups for the amount of people we have in the church. Each small group will max out at 15 people, at least 15 members of the church, 15 people of the church. Now, if you have 14 in your group and, and you want to invite a friend or a neighbor to your small group, you're more than welcome. Don't not invite new people because of that. Uh, these will you will be able to invite your friends, and you can say, "Hey, we're having a cookout." You don't even have to tell them it's a life group. You just come over, and uh, some friends are getting together, and let them experience life Jesus's way. So you can invite anyone you want to to the groups. Um, one of the main hurdles that we had to we had to understand how we're going to fix and and don't don't have it all worked out but we understand that we're the children are going to be uh, a high priority in this we'll no longer have a wednesday service here you won't be dropping your kids off here if you want if you take your kids to your small group with you and the way we see it is every group will figure out how to uh Make sure that the children's experience is just as rewarding. Their spiritual growth is just as important as yours. Every small group leader will be given a children's curriculum. And uh, so uh, that small group, that first meeting, they'll sit down. If, say you got 14 people in your group and you got eight kids with you that night. You'll say, okay, um, how do we want to do this? How do we want to, we, we want to rotate each, uh, you know, a couple or a, or, or a parent will take turns in a different room with the children and go over the curriculum, but the children will be having a small group too. 
They'll be bonding, developing relationships, playing, but they'll also get the Word of God and be taught to pray and everything that we're, we'll be doing in our regular life groups. Does that make sense? Now, we don't have all this worked out. We don't know how it's going to work. But we believe that people will take care of their own children, right? We know that, that, that we, will, we will do what it takes to make sure. You may want to in, uh, invite one of the youth to your group and give them $30 to, to, to uh, host the children's part of the small group. Uh, what, what will a, a typical life group meeting look like? Well, it'll probably start maybe with an opening prayer or something, but then there'll be fellowship. Um, there'll be time to just talk and relax. These are not high-pressured. Uh, we only got an hour, so you know. But but probably the first fifteen minutes or so, we'll just be fellowshipping and talking with one another, getting to know one another. What do you do for a living? That you may have an icebreaker game or something along those lines. After that, um, there'll be a time in every meeting uh, of for prayer. Um, that that you may pray together as a group. Now, if you're scared of praying, you won't be forced to pray out loud or anything. You as you grow, you'll you'll fit in, but nobody's going to be forced to do anything there'll be a time of spiritual discussion the leaders will bring out a topic and they've been taught the 30 70 rule which means they're not it's not going to be a teaching they're not going to sit there and teach you the lesson they're going to throw out things they're going to spend 30 30 percent of the time facilitating the discussion between you guys they're going to leave, keep things on topic and they're going to but they're going to allow and go around the room you got anything to say? Not going to force you to say anything. You do what you want to as you feel comfortable, but typically you get some people together and they're relaxed. What happened in our group? Man, is everybody just laughing and joking, and but throwing out spiritual concepts and things that they've learned, and real discipleship begins to happen, right? Uh, you may, it depend on the small group leader, there may be food there sometimes, maybe not. There, you know, it's not a requirement, so don't expect it, but you may want to bring some snacks or y'all may take turns. The small groups will, in a large part, determine what kind of group that they are and how they handle things. But there will be always be a spiritual component and there always will be prayer and there always will be um, fellowship. And I'm going to let you ask any questions you have coming up. But let me say, we want everyone to be involved. This is not just a, a program that we're throwing out there. This is the way we're going to do church. This is taking the place of something dear to our hearts, our Wednesday night service. So this is the way we do church. And, and we're saying, if you really want to hook up with God's plan, this is the way we do church. So we want you to sign up. We want you to participate. And we want you to give it a chance, like Angie says. We believe this is a better way for you to grow. Pastor Paul, who was before me, he had it in his heart to do uh, life groups, and uh, he passed before he ever got it completed. But it's been in my heart once he said it was in his heart. And then Pastor Vickers, our senior pastor, he, he two or three years ago, that's all he talked about at one of our group meetings for three days. He says, if I, after 37 years of uh, senior pastoring, if I could go back and do it again, life groups would have been at the center of what I'm doing because that discipleship, that takes place there is so important. So this is not something that's willy-nilly. It's two years in the making. Okay, what kind of groups are we going to start with? We're going to start with six groups. And if you look at in the back there, um, Mary McCall and Mary Ellen Barnes put that beautiful bulletin board together back there. It shows our six groups. we got a new poster back there saying, Find Your Fit. 
when you get a chance, uh, go back there to that bulletin board. You can read about the, the six groups. We're going to have one that's like a, a marriage and family. We're going to have one that's what we call a freedom group. Freedom groups are going to be important for us because we all need freedom from certain things in our life, not just drug addiction and that kind of thing, but maybe just from anger issues and, and, and insecurities and stuff in our past. And so it'll be a, the freedom group will be a little more intensive and take you through 12 weeks of, of, in the curriculum uh, about being set free. So um, freedom groups are going to be important to our church going forward because that's really what we're doing in small groups is finding freedom. So, uh, And then we, we're going to have a... a Let's see where I write it down. We're go, we, we are going to have a women's group. If you just want to hang with the ladies, ladies, you, uh, we'll have one of those. We're going to have some topical groups like one that's built on building faith. One that's talking about Jesus's love, how he loved different people. So if, if that interests you, and then there's one big called the Bold uh, Family Group, uh, Bread of Life Disciples. And it'll just be uh, just more of a Bible study and a, a worship time so you can go as deep as you want to you can read up about the groups back there and guess what these are all now listed on our website www.mypassion.church you go to the soto tab click on it below it'll be a drop box and it'll say this this and this but the third thing down there will say groups and so you click on groups and those six will be listed there and that'll be the way we sign up when signups get here some of you are saying, how do I sign up? Don't say that yet. We ain't there. We will help you with signups, believe me. We're going to have signups here at the church, and we're going to open up on August 24th, the Saturday before the next Sunday. Saturday's always before the next Sunday. Uh, that Saturday, for those of you who want to make sure you get in your group and you don't want to find out that your group filled up without you, you'll have an opportunity to go online. And all you do is basically click and say join, and it'll ask you your email address, and it'll send you an email and confirm it, and then it'll say, do you want to join? You say, boom, you'll be listed in that group. And then your group leader will be responsible for getting with you after that about the group meetings. We're going to lead you through all this. We're going to go into much more detail about the signups. It's going to be easy. If you're not a computer person, we'll have physical uh, signups here at that church on August 25th and the signups will stay open throughout the semester so if for some reason you're going to be out of town for the first six weeks and you don't get a chance to sign up you can sign up when you get back we just hope that everybody does sign up and become part of the church uh really that's all I can think to say right now um do you have any questions the youth the youth will continue to meet as they always do you guys are basically having a small group on Wednesday nights. Now, uh, Bill, uh, I've told him that if he feels like the youth want to meet on a different night or something, you guys can decide that, uh, whatever works best for the youth. But right now, the youth will continue to meet as they do on Wednesday nights. Uh, next hand. What'd you say? Uh, if you want to go on Wednesday and Thursday and join more than one group, well, what we'll do is uh, we would like for you to just to do one group and, and then you can take the next one the next semester. Um, if you just can't stand it and you have to go, um, just make sure it's the, the, the next group that you go to isn't full and doesn't put them over the limit and that you don't take a space from somebody else who had, who's only going to one. But we could probably facilitate it if you just can't wait.
the kids. Well, that's that's part of the challenge. You're gonna have two year olds and ten year olds um, in the same in the same group. Um, so that group of uh, people will have to decide how best to care for their children. And so you guys will decide that amongst yourself, and you, you'll you may have to have two parents and break it up into groups. It's it's gonna, children are going to be a challenge, but they're a high priority. So when you join a group, just know. That you know your group may be disrupted if you have a lot of children, and in, 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 in some way that you may have to, a responsibility to help nurture, and then that'd be your opportunity what to help disciple little children. And God says, "My my goodness, you ain't can't even give a cup of cold water to a child without you getting a reward in heaven." So you and uh, yeah, prayer on Tuesday nights will not change. Thank you. Good question. Any other questions? And of course, you can you can get with me or any of these small group leaders that you see. Their pictures are on the, the bulletin board back there. They know all the answers to these questions pretty much. And if we think of something that we don't know, uh, Anita says she, she will answer questions here. Um, got a question? If you're a mom, you're not going to go to your small group and watch your kids the whole time. Because <laughs> if I was a mom, and that's the case, I would just stay home. So... Yeah, we're not just going to make you watch the t children every time. There will be a rotation. Your your spiritual health will be taken into consideration, and and so everybody's going to have to pull together when it comes to children. Now, there may be some groups that there's no children that come to, you know, there, but there there may be one child, and but somebody will have to. See to that that child's spiritual health, right? The, yeah, you have one. We had one child in our group, so we didn't do a very good job because we ain't got the curriculum yet. But but we will have to uh, do better. All right. Question: Are you ready to show that video? You said no, not yet. You're anxious back there. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, like Angie said, I've got I got a list of benefits about small or life groups. Should I share them? Do you want to know why we're doing this? Okay, because people open up and talk more in smaller settings, and they feel free to ask questions. Like I said, you're not going to ask a lot of your hard questions here in, in the service. People realize that they're not alone and that other people have similar problems as they do. You know, we take off the mask and we get real with one another. Uh, people you get to use their gifts and talents to minister to one another. You may be just so full of God, but you just don't have anybody you feel like that you can minister to. Well, you'll be able to minister to plenty of folks. Um, this will provide an avenue of godly advice and support. Someone you can ask these questions. It'll create relationships where people hold each other accountable. People will pray for one another. No one will fall through the cracks and just become a face in the crowd. If you start missing your small group, people are going to say, hey, buddy, pick it up. Come on, we miss you. You know, a lot of times we people are just slipping out the back door and there's no mechanism. That if, you, if you don't have leaders over small groups, remember we talked about Moses last week. He was trying to, to lead all two million people out in the wilderness and his 
father-in-law Jethro said, you, got, you can't do this. It's not good for the people. It's not good for you. You need leaders, captains over tens, fifties, and hundreds. And so this is an effort to do that. Uh, people will come out of their shell. The Bible says, how is it that everybody has a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song? You got stuff. And you need to find an avenue where you can share what you got. You may say, well, I'm not saying nothing. I'm embarrassed to say you I bet you by that second meeting, you'll be telling everything you know. And they'll be saying, honey, child, that was good. <laughs> you will create family bonds and a family experience for those who are alone or lonely. There's a lot of people who are lonely, even in our body of Christ here. And this will give them a place. This will give them a family. Life groups are great to help assimilate new people. They come to our church. They don't know how to, they don't know anybody. But we get them in a life group. Now they know somebody. People are more likely to preach what they learn with hands-on training. I've used this example several times, but it seems to work. If I took that chair apart and laid it in the middle of the aisle here with all the screws laid out, and I told you from up there at the pulpit, all right, you take screw A and you put it into this leg, and, and I just told you, lectured to you, and told you how to do it. When you left here and had a little space between what I told you, you're never going to know how to put that chair together. But if we got down in the floor together and I showed you, and hands-on training, we did this together or as a group, you'd be able to put every chair together in this sanctuary. You'd know how. So that's what it's good for. Uh, it helps the church see past our sanctuary walls because we'll be outside of our sanctuary walls. We'll be out into the community. We can quickly mobilize for evangelistic events or whatever. I might call one group leader and say, hey, we got a widow over here that needs this done. You think you can get some people from your group? Because the, the life groups will eventually uh, turn evangelistic as well. Once everybody gets on the page, and you'll be wanting to say, how can we make a difference? We'll, we'll go over here and do this, or we'll pass out water here. You'll start doing, you'll start longing to do God's work. Um, it'll help the church grow. You know, it's much easier to invite somebody to a barbecue than it is to your church on Sunday. They're more, more likely to come. And so you get them to your small group. They see that, hey, they're just regular folks. I wouldn't mind going to a church like that where people I can talk to. And so they see that Christians are, are just forgiven people, not perfect people. Um, people will have someone to help them through the hard times. If you're going through something, it'll be good to have a small group pray for you and, and, and give you advice, counsel, resources along the way. Real friendships will begin. More than just, good morning, good to see you again, but really don't know who you are. Life groups will make the church experience more personal and more fun. But like Angie said, we will only get out of them what we put into them. If you go to that first meeting and you don't get a hallelujah experience, and you walk away saying, that leader don't know what they're talking about. This ain't going to be nothing. So-and-so, she said that, and she's stupid, and I don't like it. If that's going to be your attitude, you're not going to get anything out of it. That's just, that's just in life. You're going to have to give this thing a chance. I mean, this is the, our first chance. This is our first time ever doing this. Will we get it perfect? I hope so, but maybe not. But it's going to, it's going to be successful according to what each person puts into it. And so give it a, give it a chance, you know, give it a semester. And if this, this is just 
the worst thing ever, then I understand. But don't criticize and pick everything apart after the first meeting. That's just human nature, but that's not our nature. We're big brothers and sisters and keepers of our culture. We've talked about that. We have to be, have a different spirit than the world. Not of the ten that came back with a bad report. We're the two, like Caleb and Joshua, says we can do this. We can make it. And uh, So three of the, the uh, life group leaders have made a video. Uh, I told them to make a 20 or 30 second video that would uh, advertise their group somewhat just for fun. And the other three are working on theirs. We'll show that next Sunday. But I thought I'd show that the first video to you right now. Tom, could you hit those lights? Hi, I'm Miss Brenda. Are you looking for more smiles, fun, and laughter with meals to feed body, soul, and spirit with like-minded people? Then you belong here at Bold Family Life Group, doing life together. Hope to see you there. Welcome home. We're good. What's up, fans? Nicholas Mitchell. I'm pumped for the new Passion Life Groups coming up. The Freedom Fighters Group is going to be held at my house in South Haven, less than five minutes away from the church. Whether you're already helping others experience their freedom in Christ, or you've never heard that there is such a thing, this is the place for you. Come make some friends and form some lasting relationships. See you there. See you there. 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 Everywhere. Hey everyone, welcome to our marriage and family life group here at Passion Church. Um, it's all about all about marriage. You can't have a rock solid marriage without God in the center of it. Come on out, we're glad to have you. Bring your mama, bring your daddy, bring your cousin, bring everybody. We're glad to have you. Come on out. As you can see, there's going to be a lot of laughter in these groups, all of them. I, uh, we've pretty much had all of these groups. Uh, we've met in different people's houses for our trial runs, and they've put the meetings on, and I can tell you they're all equally wonderful, and they were all uh, right on target, and they were enriching my life as we went. Life groups are good for the one another's, and we'll close. What do I mean for the one another's? Well, the Bible has a lot of scriptures about one another, and life groups Meet the needs of these one another's. In Romans 12.10 it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. In Romans 12.16 it says, Live in harmony with one another. In 2 Corinthians 13.11 it says, Comfort one another and agree with one another. In Galatians 6.2 it says, Bear one another's burdens. Life groups are going to do these things. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up. And then on down in verse 15, it says, Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And Hebrews 10.24 says, Stir one another to love and to good works. We're going to stir one another up in these groups. We're going to learn how to love and do good works. And 1 Peter 4.1 says, As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another. What did Jesus do? What did the early church do? They did life in groups. They broke it down in house-to-house -house groups, walking together groups. Sustainable growth for our church is going to require groups. Or we will be a church with one man preaching and a crowd.
of no disciples. And we will not let that happen. Peter, he chose to walk with the goose instead of settling for the golden egg. He chose the experience of a lifetime, the extraordinary. He chose the faith-filled way, the, the unsafe way. He chose to do things Jesus' way. And then what happened to Peter? He began to get free. Peter had all kind of dumb ideas. You listen to the things Peter said. Jesus began to set him free from all his dumb ideas. And Peter began to grow. And even in the end, towards the end, what happened? Peter just had a meltdown. How many of you have had a meltdown in your Christian life? Peter denied the Lord that he even knew him three times. Don't, she's I'm in my hand. Peter had a bad meltdown and he went out and he wept bitterly and he thought that was all there is to this life. You know, uh, Jesus can't love me now. He did all that for me. I watched him die on that cross after I denied him. And he was so upset with himself. And what did Peter do? He said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do now. And I can imagine him just weeping and just thinking life was over. And in the King James, he said, I go a fishing. He just went back to his old life. He thought, that's all. well, I have to go back to my old life because I've ruined this new life. I've, I've, I've left Jesus and now I'm all alone and he'll never have me. So he went and got in his boat and some of the other disciples went with him. And they went fishing. And guess what? They fished and they didn't catch anything again. And then this man's walking along the beach and he says, throw your net out on the other side. And they probably, oh, whatever. Threw the net out on the other side and the nets begin to break again. And then somebody says, it's Jesus. And Peter, he doesn't say, let's row to the bank. He jumps out the boat. He's learned enough to know that you just got to get out of the boat of your comfort and you got to get to Jesus by any means necessary. He's learned that this new life is worth everything. If I have to drown on the way, I'm coming to Jesus. You can have all them fish in the net. I'm going to Jesus. You can have the golden egg. I'm walking with Jesus. And Jesus restored him because that's what Jesus does. Embrace change in your life. And if you mess up, embrace the forgiveness of God. Embrace Jesus. He's not going to let you down. We may let Him down, but He's not going to let you down. And some of you don't know a love like that. You come from different backgrounds and where if you mess up, that's it. They're not going to have anything to do with you. But we're not going to be that kind of people. And we don't serve that kind of God. Jesus was cooking some fish when they got there. Had a meal together in a small group. I bet he would call it a life group. And he restored. He set them free. From all their past sins. And they got healing. Jesus healed in that life group. And that's what he wants to do in life groups for us. Thanks 
for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.